Good morning, New City. Good morning. All right, you guys are awake out there. Thank you for that. It is great to be with you this morning, and that sounds kind of odd to say because I'm with you most mornings. Uh, I'm just not up here, I'm out there. Some of you may recognize me, my name is Dave Patchen. You may have seen me uh, in the role of parking lot attendant. Um, and I don't really know how the algorithm works that you go from parking lot attendant to preaching, but here I am. So, but that's actually not true, I've seen the algorithm, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure somebody who's in preschool this week or next week is preaching first Sunday in January, so don't <laughs> warn them, that's just kind of how it goes. But I'm glad to be with you. A uh, little bit about me, uh, I have uh, three children and one wife. I highly recommend that ratio. We have been studying in Genesis lately, and if, men, you learned anything from Genesis, multiple wives is not something you can handle, okay? We are not going to go there. But I've got three kids and one wife. It's been a big year for us. My youngest of my three got engaged. He's getting married in the spring. He's here, but I'm not looking at him, so don't let it go. But also, just so you know, our oldest had our very first grandchild. And I want you to know this, okay? You need to understand this. The amount of self-control that it takes to not put a picture of my brand new granddaughter up on the screen, I mean, you can't imagine it. And I guess I can't imagine it either, because there it is. So anyway, uh, for those of you who are uh, with us, watching online or here in person. Dylan Dotson, our lead pastor, is not here this morning, and I'm sorry about that. That's why we say try three, so you can come back three times. Hopefully, you'll get to hear him. He'll be back next week. You'll just have to suffer through getting, getting through this Sunday with me, and I can sympathize with you. I like it a lot better when Dylan is preaching, too. So, got that going for me. But a little bit about myself. I am an elder here at the church. Uh, my wife and I did 29 years of vocational ministry before we got into real estate. So what that meant was for 29 years, I was paid to be good. Now I'm just good for nothing. <laughs> anyway, but it's been a great day. Uh, how many of you were at the, the Trunk or Treat yesterday at Hillsdale, uh, Hillburn Academy? Thank you so much for coming out and volunteering. It was a great event. I mean, there was, I think there was more than 500 kids there. It was just kind of off the hook. It really was. And I know you guys are very competitive. Those of you who did trunks, thank you so much. They were super good. And we had voting on which was the best trunk. And the winner is Cookie Monster, Andy and Brittany. It, it may have had something to do with them having a baby at the trunk. I don't know, but they won as best trunk. So it was a great day. We're really excited that you were here. Have you ever wondered where you are? Has that ever happened to you where you've just said, hey, where am I? Uh, last winter, my daughter and her husband were uh, going up to Canada, crossing into Quebec to go to Montreal to spend a night uh, to get away. And as they crossed over the border, their GPS stopped working because, you know, borders. So all of a sudden, your data doesn't work on your plan. Your phone plan just stops. And they're of the generation where they, I mean... Let's just be honest. They've never seen a map. They don't know how to use one. They don't own any. So they're in Canada. They're uh, in Quebec. All the road signs are in French, and it begins to snow. So they don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going, uh, and they have no way to get where they're going. So they look for someone who has a very particular set of skills that could help them, and they called my wife, her mom. And the, and the call sounded something like this. Hi, we're in Canada. We don't know where you are. We are. Can you help us get where we're going? And my wife actually had that set of skills 
to open up a map, to look at it, and to say things like, you're about to cross a river. When you get to the next corner, you're going to turn right onto Rue de Alliance. None of them spoke French, but she knew the address of the hotel, and she guided them all the way there. So she had that set of skills. Uh, our story today has people wondering, where is Jesus? We are looking for Jesus, and they don't know where he is. They need help. They're in some challenging circumstances, and they need a very particular set of skills to solve the problems that they are facing, and they need Jesus, and they don't know where he is. We say regularly here at New City that the Bible is a consistent uh, story that points to Jesus, and we've been in Genesis all the way back at the beginning, so we're having to make those big connections. Well, today, we're in the Gospel of John where we see Jesus. We don't have to make a lot of points. We just have to understand what Jesus is trying to say. And we've been in Genesis, as I said, but John is a gospel, and John tells us in the gospel that he wrote, I have written this for you so that you may believe in Jesus. The whole point of the book is to help people believe in Jesus. So we're in this story, and uh, to understand the context, Jesus has been teaching and gathering followers and doing miracles. He's healed some people. He's preaching the good news, and he's trying to help them understand that the Messiah has come and that they need to trust him. So immediately before the story, in John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching. He's in Jerusalem, which is in the province of Judea, and his leaders are saying to him, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And he says to them, I've been telling you plainly. Look at what I have done. Look at the deeds that I have done. They tell you who I am. And he he goes on and explains that he's the good shepherd, and he has followers that know him and follow him, And he is the one that leads them, and they know his voice. And he says to them, and you are not of them, which gets them a little angry. And then he says, I and the Father are one. And the religious leaders of the day, I mean, they are fighting mad. They are so angry. Because what they are hearing Jesus say when he says, I and the Father are one, they understand what that means. In the context, Jesus is saying, the Father, me, one and the same. You want to know who I am? That's who I am. And they don't believe that he is God incarnate in the flesh, which he is telling them. And so they instantly realize that's blasphemy for him to claim to be God when he's not. And they pick up stones to stone him. And Jesus is seeing what goes on. And he says to them, hey, for which of the good deeds that I've done are you going to stone me? And they say, not for anything you've done, but for what you said. You being a man claimed to be God. And Jesus explains a little more, and then he slips out the back, and he goes across the river into another province. He goes outside of Judea. So that's the context we get when we get the story of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, and the disciples, and Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 11, and we're going to start there. If you want to follow along in the Bible, it's in the seat back in front of you. You can take that out and follow along. I think the slide says it's on page 953. Otherwise, you can follow along in yours. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, please take that one and seat back in front of you. It's our gift to you. So let's pick up the story here in John 11, starting in verse 1. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent to him, Lord... The one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, 
but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So here's the story. Jesus has got some close companions, and he gets word that Lazarus, one of them, is sick. And John wants us to know that these aren't just some rando people popping up, okay? These are close friends of Jesus. He's been in their house. They've had meals together. They're close followers of his. They've been connected for a while. These are people that he's connected to. So much so he wants you to understand that he mentions twice in those short verses that Jesus loved them. He loved them. He also wants you to know that Mary's the one who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. But it's funny because John tells you that but he hasn't told that story in his gospel. He doesn't tell it until chapter 12, the very next chapter. But he knows that they will know who this is because they probably heard that story before. So he's saying, hey, this is the Mary that anointed Jesus' feet with oil. And he wants them to say, oh, that Mary. Okay, that Mary, we got it. We know who this is. And her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. So Lazarus is sick. And it's probably pretty serious because if you just had the sniffles, They wouldn't send a messenger to find Jesus two provinces over to say, the one you love is sick. If it was just minor, they wouldn't send a messenger, but they do, they send a messenger. But Jesus says that the sickness will not lead to death, but to glorify God. Now, the disciples are probably relieved. I mean, they know Lazarus, they've been there, they're friends as well. So they're like, Lazarus is sick, but Jesus said this isn't gonna end in death. They're relieved that he's going to be okay. And we're going to see in a moment that they may also be a little bit relieved for themselves. So let's pick up the story again, starting in verse 6. It says this, So when he heard, Jesus, so when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus said, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Here we have in the passage that Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick. He says it's not going to end in death. And then he stays where he is two more days. Is that what you expect Jesus to do? To stay where he was for two more days when he finds out Lazarus is sick? It's serious. They sent a messenger. They found him two provinces over. But he stays. And the disciples hear that he's going to head over there. And they're like, um, can you imagine how this conversation went? Um, Jesus, brilliant plan going back to Judea. Great, love it, all good. Um, Might we remind you that they were just trying to kill you? I mean, they picked up stones. Some of them were really big rocks. I mean, it was big. And you are going back, are you? Now, notice what they said. Now, we don't know which disciple said this. Maybe they're all saying it. But notice what they said. You are going back? Now, up until now, everywhere Jesus goes, the disciples go with him. But now it's starting to look a little serious. And I don't know if John is trying to intentionally do this. I don't know if the disciples are intentionally doing this. But they make it pretty clear. 
you are going back? So there may be some discussion amongst them that they may not go. If he's going back to Judea and Lazarus is just sleeping, I mean, his sisters can wake him up. It's not that hard, okay? If he's just asleep. And Jesus replies about walking in the light of day, that you will not stumble. And he's reminding them that in his presence, his presence alone is revelatory and purposeful. That if you're with him, he's already told them, I'm the light of the world. And when you are with me, you are not going to stumble. It's okay. We're in the light of day. If it wasn't me, yeah, going back to Judea, it could be bad. But it's me. I know what's going on. I'm in control. You can walk in the light of day with me, and it's going to be okay. See, when we walk with God and we walk in his plan, he tells us, I got you. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. Now, I'm not saying you won't have trouble. If you read this passage, there's trouble in every verse. He's not saying that. He's saying, you won't stumble. I'm with you. I've got you. But the disciples, they're not really with it. They know that if they stay in the light, they're going to be okay, but they're not really sure they want to go where the light wants to go. And they're saying, hey, if Lazarus is asleep, this is pointless. There's no reason to go back. You said it's not going to end in death. Why risk your life and ours by going back to Judea? I'm pretty sure it's going to be okay. Now, some of you are saying, why did Jesus say he's asleep? That is a cultural idiom, a cultural metaphor for death, okay? And some of you, I've heard people say this before, why, why do they say asleep? That's just so weird. Like, don't, why didn't he just say he's dead? Well, think of our own culture. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, Aunt Gertrude passed? Passed what? Passed gas, passed an exam, passed the finish line. What did Gertrude pass? Or sometimes we say, he didn't make it. Didn't make what? He he didn't make his bed, he didn't make a sandwich. What, what didn't he make? And we have our own idioms, we have many of them, to ways to say, just like them, he's dead without saying dead and death, because death feels so final. In this culture, And in their minds, death is final, it's permanent, and it's the ultimate end of the story. But when Jesus is involved, he's already said, death isn't the end. It's not final, and it's not ultimate. So Jesus has to go on to explain it. We pick up the story in uh, verse 14. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too, so that we may die with him. (laughs) So Lazarus is glad. And and just have a moment here. You're the disciples. Jesus tells them, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Not for him. I'm glad for you. I'm glad for you that you might believe. Hold on. What what about any of this makes sense? You said Lazarus wasn't going to die. Now you're glad he's dead, and you're glad for us. We had nothing to do with it. And you're glad for us that we would believe? We don't want to go. Like, what is going on here? But Jesus is making it plain to them that he has a plan, and it's about them. Now, Thomas speaks up for the disciples, and Thomas kind of gets a bad rap, because Thomas is the one who at the end, at the resurrection, and they tell him that Jesus has been raised back from the dead to life. He says, look, I'm not going to believe unless I see the holes in his hands, and I can feel in his side where they stabbed him, I'm not going to believe that he's resurrected. So he gets the name Doubting Thomas. 
okay? But Thomas here is saying, well, let's go back with him that we may die also. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, this could be Eeyore. You know, he could be saying it. Let's go back to so that we die with him. You know, he's just kind of being kind of resigned. Or he could be saying it, you know, like a Spartan. Let's go back with him that we may die as well. Death is honor. Or I'd like to think that Thomas is a little more like me. A little sarcastic. <laughs> Great plan, Jesus. Yeah, let's go back to Judea so we can die with you. That's always been my goal. I've been hoping for that. It's a fearful moment for the disciples, and Jesus is taking them to places that they don't want to go. We pick up the story again in the village of Bethany in a minute. Let me explain that. I want to stop here. Jesus is taking them to places they don't want to go. They've made it clear, we don't want to go. And Jesus has made it clear, we're going. So in our lives, there are moments, just like the disciples, where Jesus says, the next step for you is here. And we say, Lord, uh, I don't like that. That's not really where I had intended to go. That's not really part of my plan. That's not really what I want to see happen. It's undoubtedly scary for the, for the disciples. But Jesus wants them to understand something. He wants them to understand more clearly who he is. And they've got to go back to Judea to see it. Great when your notes fall on the floor. Thankfully, they didn't spin. Let me fix this for you. He wants them to go back to Judea, and he wants them to understand who he is. So he's saying to them, come with me. Come with me. But I'm going to take you to places you don't want to go because I'm going to do things in your life that you can't imagine, and I'm going to change some things that you don't know need to be changed, and you don't know what's coming next, but I've got the plan, and I'm going to take you places you don't want to go. But it's for your good, and it's going to help you understand more of who I am. So let's jump back into the story. Verse 17, Jesus is getting to Bethany, which is a village in the uh, area of Judea. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus said. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told them. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. So Jesus comes into Bethany, and he gets there, and they, the worst is confirmed. Lazarus is dead, and it's not just dead. He's been dead for four days. And think about this. The sister sent a messenger to Jesus when their brother was sick. And they know that the messenger found him. They know where he was. And the messenger came back and said, yep, I delivered the message. And Jesus didn't come. They know he didn't even try. He didn't come to them when they heard it. So Martha hears that Jesus has gotten to town. And Martha is a woman on a mission. She goes outside of town as he's coming in to greet him and to confront him. And she says this very simple statement. Lord, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Martha is not afraid to confront the Savior when she thinks something is not right. We saw it earlier when uh, Jesus and the disciples come to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, soaking up all she can from the Lord. Martha is practical. She's thinking, we got a lot of people in the house. There's going to be a meal. There's some stuff's got to get done. So Martha's running around trying to get all these things done, and she sees her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And she goes to the Lord, and she says, Lord, and I'm going to put my own spin on this, okay, just so you hear. Lord, tell my lazy sister to get up off the floor and to get over and help me. We got a lot of people in the house. You guys want to eat. We got to get some stuff done. And Jesus lets her confront him, and he says, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Relax. Only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the better path. So we've seen that Martha's willing to confront Jesus about her sister's behavior, and now we have Jesus' behavior, and she's willing to confront him. And she says to him, and I think it's with a lot of anger, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. And you didn't come. You didn't even try. See, Martha is confronting Jesus' behavior and what's going on, and I think that she is saying, can I even trust you? Are you trustworthy? I know you love us, or I thought you did. Can we even trust you when things are going bad? And you didn't come, and now my brother's dead. And Jesus hears this, and he says to her, do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Now, Jesus is giving her a double message, okay? Let's, let's see this really clearly. Martha takes this as a theological statement about the end. She says, yes, yes, Lord, I know on the last day, the dead are going to rise and we'll all be with you. But she's not hearing him say that about today. She's thinking, in the end, I know it's going to be okay. I've got my theology down. But what about today? But Jesus is saying, in the end and today. He doesn't say, I got you. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die. Even if he does, he will live. And he asks Mary, Martha, a very important question. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. She knows his titles. She knows his role. But does she really know who he is? Because she's thinking, it's over. It's done. This can't be fixed. And Jesus is telling her, it can be fixed. Do you believe I am who I say that I am? So Martha is a little bit confused by all this. She's asking her to believe. And Jesus is really asking that question of Martha, but the reality is he asked that question of all of us. Jesus asked all of us, do you believe? For Martha, she couldn't believe in spite of her current circumstances. She couldn't see that Jesus was telling her something that she wanted to believe, but she couldn't. She couldn't get her head around it. She's saying, Lord, you could have prevented this. You could have protected me. And we say this sometimes, don't we? Lord, you could have prevented this. You could have protected me. You could have kept this from happening. I didn't have to get this diagnosis. My family didn't have to go this way. My kids don't have to be acting up in this way. I didn't have to get fired. 
and you let it happen. You could have protected me. You could have stopped it all, but you didn't. And Jesus is asking us, just like he's asking Martha, do you believe in me? Do you believe? Because if we really believed correctly, we wouldn't be assuming that Jesus is just a vending machine, that if we push the right buttons with worship or prayer or giving or serving or doing these things or showing up enough times on Sunday or overcoming that difficult sin, if we just push all those buttons, then he's going to give us what we want because that's not how Jesus operates. He's got some deeper things to go after. And he asks us all, do you believe? And this is the gospel. See, he is saying to them, you think you know me, but I'm more than you know. Will you go with me to places so that you can understand more of who I am? Because I'm here to show you I'm more of who you, I'm more than you know. And he's asking that of us too. See, Jesus rescued us from the power of sin and death. He restored us to a right relationship with God, and he didn't do it just to be nice. Jesus redeems a people for his own possession so that we could be in right relationship with him. He wants them to understand more than anything who he is. And if that means they got to go through some tough times, he's willing to take them there. But do we believe? And just like the disciples, Martha's not really getting it. So she departs. She heads back. Let's pick up the story in verse 28. Having said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So here, Martha tells Mary, Jesus is asking for you. Now, in the text, it doesn't say that. Maybe Jesus did. Maybe he said, hey, you're not getting it. Go get your sister. Or maybe Martha's like, I don't really know what Jesus is trying to tell me. Maybe Mary will get a better message. So she says, hey, he's asking for you. Go. And Mary goes. But when Mary meets Jesus, it's a very different scene, isn't it? They say literally the exact same words. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But Mary then falls at Jesus' feet weeping. She's in a very different place. But Mary is always at Jesus' feet. I told you about when, they were, when Jesus was at their house. She's at his feet listening. Here she falls at his feet when she comes to see him. In the next chapter, she's going to be at his feet anointing them with perfume, wiping it with her hair. She is always at the feet of Jesus. Her heart is in a place where she wants to love and honor and worship, and here she collapses. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever been at a moment in time when you heard something or you saw somebody hear something and they collapsed to the ground? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? It is overwhelming. Imagine getting news so devastating or so good 
are so different than what you expected, and your body just goes out. You can't stand. You just fall to the ground. I think that is what is going on here with Mary. She is coming to the one she trusted and she believed in and she wanted to heal her brother. And she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I think she collapses at Jesus' feet because she's wondering. She's wondering, do you love us? Do you love us? I thought you did. We sent the messenger and you didn't show up. Do you love us? Mary's, I don't think, is accusing Jesus. I think she's just brokenhearted. And because she's brokenhearted, she gets a very different response from Jesus. Did you notice this? It says that Jesus was troubled. And it says that he was, uh, what's the exact phrase there? He was moved. The word in the original language there for that moved is basically like this concept of your insides being turned over. You ever had one of those moments in anger or fear or frustration or pain where on the inside it's like, and Jesus sees her crying and he's moved. And then it says he's deeply troubled, which is another phrase for saying his spirit, his mind, his heart was bothered by what he was seeing. Jesus is bothered by the point where Mary's at. And then Jesus does something really different. He says, the scripture says that Jesus wept. And the people who are with Mary are saying, hey, he really loved Lazarus. Look how he's crying. Wow. But is Jesus crying for Lazarus? I don't think he is. Now, who is he crying for? Why is Jesus crying here? Is he crying for Lazarus because he's dead? No, Jesus knows what he's about to do. Lazarus is going to be okay. Is he crying for the disciples? They're scared, but they're not the one. They're not like Mary and Martha. Is he crying for himself because he's hurting at the loss of his friend? (laughs) No. He knows he's going to get this friend back. He's already told the disciples it's going to happen. So why is Jesus crying? I think Jesus is crying for Mary and Martha, but he's not crying for them. He's crying with them because Jesus sympathizes with us in our pain. I think he's primarily crying because he sees the pain and agony that Mary and Martha are going through, and he knows he put them through it, and he feels it. He is weeping with them. Think about this. The God of the universe, who's fully God and fully man, sees them in their pain. He's the savior of the world. He has the power over life and death. He can do miracles, and he sees those he loves weeping, and he weeps with them. Let that sink in. When you are hurting or in pain or struggling or experiencing loss, Jesus is right there, sympathizing with our pain. He feels it. He knows it. He is in the moment with them right then, weeping. Now, if you think about this story, at this moment, right then, is there anybody that's happy? Is there anybody who's like, good plan, Jesus? Sounds like a winner to me. Lazarus? (laughs) He's dead. He's not happy. Sisters lost her brother. They're not happy. Disciples afraid. Things are going badly. We could get killed. They're not happy. Jesus is crying. He's not happy. But it's right then and there that things begin to change. And he says, where have you put him? And they say, come, Lord, and see. So pick up the story again in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone lined against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. 
Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Then Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they moved the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So again, the scripture tells us that Jesus was deeply moved. He's not impartial. He's not passive. He's not uh, not caring about their suffering and their pain. He is deeply moved, and he goes straight to the tomb. Now, Martha, Martha, Martha needs to warn Jesus about something that she, maybe he hasn't figured out. Jesus, don't move the stone. Going to be stinky. (laughs) Been dead four days, Jesus. Not sure if you're familiar with this whole thing, but it's not going to be good. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? But she hasn't figured out who he is. She doesn't know what he can do. She knows he's the Messiah, but she doesn't know all that that means. So they move the stone. And Jesus has this really odd prayer. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus prays a lot in the Gospels, but not often publicly. But here he prays publicly. Now think about this prayer, okay? Here's the prayer. Father, thanks that you hear me. I know you hear me. We're good. I got that. But so that they know, the people standing around know that you hear me, I'm just praying so that they know that you sent me. And that's it. What a strange prayer. Jesus is trying to communicate, and he's saying in his prayer, hey, Father, I'm praying to you so that they know that you sent me, so that they might believe. Now, I'm not a big fan of preaching in a prayer, but in this one, Jesus is preaching to the crowd. But he's telling them, Father, you know we're connected they need to know. See, Jesus understands what they don't understand. He knows that the Father sent him. He's the one who said, I and the Father are one. He's the one who said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Jesus wants them to know that. They want him to understand. He wants the crowd to understand fully who he is. But imagine the scene, okay? Then he says, Lazarus, come out. And the crowd is so shocked and stunned by what they see that he has to say something to him. But picture this, okay? Lazarus, come out. <laughs> he comes hopping out of the tomb somehow, and they're all standing there like, what just happened? And Jesus says to them, hey, uh, you might want to unwrap him, let him go, since his hands and his feet are bound. Can't talk. He's all covered up. He's wrapped up. He was dead. He was buried. And he has to tell them, hey, why don't you unwrap them? And this is this amazing scene, this amazing scene. Because this is stunning that a man was dead for four days. Now, you need to understand why four days is important. In Jewish literature at the time, they, would, they believed that the spirit hung around the body for three days. But after four days, there was literally no chance. Three days, the spirit's hanging around, you're somehow connected, things could go bad. But on the fourth day, the spirit is now gone, the totally separated, you're just dead, dead. So if you're a fan of the movie The Princess Bride, you know, and they bring Wesley to Miracle Max, 
And he says, is he dead? And he goes, oh, he's only mostly dead, which is very different from fully dead. Here, they know four days in the tomb, the stench, he's fully dead. And now he's alive. So after this, the people's response is a little different. Did you notice this? There's two camps. Some of them saw this miracle and they believed. But others saw this miracle and they went to report to the Pharisees what Jesus had done. It's like, you guys got to get on this. He's raising the dead now. It ain't good. It's, it's all out of control. And some of you, if you're not a Christ follower, I know I've talked to a lot of people who aren't Christ followers and they say, if the Lord would just give me a sign, I'd believe. If he would just give me a sign, I would believe. If you're not a Christ follower, let me help you see this here in the passage. They saw the dead man come out of the grave. They'd seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him heal the lame. They'd seen him uh, heal the blind. They'd seen him heal the deaf. They've seen him calm the storm. They've seen him multiply the food to 5,000 people. They've seen the miracles. Here they see the dead come back to life. And they don't believe. And if you're not a Christ follower, I would encourage you, don't say to the Lord, Lord, give me a sign. Say, Lord, give me a heart that will believe you that I can see the signs that you are doing. Because if you see the signs, you may not still believe. So in conclusion, what can we say about this? I started by saying, where is Jesus? And in all this, everybody's asking, where is Jesus? So when we have a moment of need, when we have difficulty, when we have a problem, where is Jesus? Jesus is right here loving you for his glory. Jesus is right here loving you for his glory. I want to wrap up by telling you a story. A number of years ago when my daughter was quite young, uh, she was not even yet two, she got stabbed by a woman. She got stabbed in the leg. And she begins to cry and she's weeping. She's two, so she's not really in control of the world. And she sees the woman coming back with the piece of metal. And she begins to scream. She is in terror. And she starts screaming, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. And the woman comes over. She gets up next to her and she stabs her again in the leg. Now see, what my daughter couldn't know and didn't understand was that woman was a nurse. The one who was stabbing her was inoculating her against pathogens and diseases that she didn't know existed. She had no idea about any of them. She's being protected from diseases that could destroy her life, cripple her body, even kill her. But she doesn't understand. And she's screaming, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. And I want to ask you, where do you think her dad was when that was going on? He was right there. She was sitting on his lap. She was trying to climb over him to get away from what was going on. And he was lovingly, gently holding her in place so the nurse could stab her again. Not because he didn't love her not because he didn't care and not because he didn't know. It was because he knew and because he loved her and because he cared that he was there making her go through that thing, which she was terrified about. But he was right there, loving her, caring for her. And we need to have those moments where we think, where is the Lord? He's right here. He's right there with you, holding you, loving you, giving you grace, giving you mercy, 
and hoping that in the process that your understanding of him and your relationship with him will grow and you will deepen your faith and confidence in his mercy and his grace.